welcome you back to this second episode of the Fresh Expressions podcast. I'm Gannon Sims. And I am Heather Jalad. And today I'm really excited about the conversation that, that Gannon is having with some Fresh Expressions movement leaders in other parts of the world, um, in Europe in particular. And I know one of the things that we talked about in our last episode was really the people that aren't going to come back, right? I mean, we're looking at uh, you know, post-pandemic, if you will, uh, as we live into this this uh, new world order. If you if if you get with where I'm coming from, well, you, the people that aren't coming back are are something that the the church in Europe and across the globe has been wrestling with uh, for some some period of time. They, we we say that they're people from our future. Uh, the movement began in the UK um, almost two decades ago, and they've been living into this reality for some time now. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to your conversation, uh, Gannon, with these movement leaders. Uh, what really stuck out to you from, from these conversations? What should be listening to me for? I mean, I think it's, it's important for us to recognize that Fresh Expressions movement is global. Um, yeah. It did start with the Church of England, and it spread to a number of um, primarily Western contexts. So, so contexts in, in kind of what we call post-Christendom. Yeah. Uh, but also it spread to South Africa, which is a which is a British Commonwealth country. But then South Africa is, is spreading uh, the movement in a way all, all across the African continent. So so it's a part of a, a, a global reality. Um, Dave Mayle is uh, director of evangelism and discipleship with the Church of England and, you know, the Church of England, 500 year old church. And, and they sort of came up with this whole idea of fresh expressions. And it's sort of like if they can do it, can't we? Um, <laughs> you know, that's the, so that's the thing. And and. So Dave is really thinking about um, how uh, the the Church of England is a a simpler church, a more humble church, but also a more a bolder church uh, mm. as well. Um, and it, how again, when we talk about this great inheritance, how we're pioneering from the in- inherited system. Dave is a, has an interesting story in that he uh, was a pioneering a church planter. A, planted a church in the Anglican system that is to this day lay-led, which is really mm-hmm. fascinating. Um, then he went on to academia, created a, a pioneer learning center at uh, Ridley Hall, uh, Cambridge, and then now works uh, for the sort of the, the mothership um, and has a, a wealth of knowledge and experience. And so, you know, Dave will share uh, from his perspective um in the UK. And then I was also able to speak with uh, Sabine Ceramic, and, and Sabine is on the German Fresh Expressions team. She's got a background in sociology. She works primarily on their team with young adults, with internships um, that actually the, the German team has available of for uh, folks from around the world to come and, and work alongside uh, their team and various projects that they have, and and she really gets into some of the more um, some some really specific stories on how she's seeing fresh expressions take shape in Germany right now. Uh, many of those are outside, so she talks a little bit about mm-hmm. something that, that they call Forest Church, and another sort of um, example of of a, a church in the middle of a village that that is is sort of creating a, a community garden as well. So uh, fascinating, but just again, good for us to to see the global scale. Yeah. of the Fresh Expressions movement. Yeah, so excited to hear this. I'm joined uh, now by Dave Mayle, and Dave is the Director of Evangelism and Discipleship in the Church of England. He's a longtime friend of Fresh Expressions. Dave, um, 
in the early days pioneered a fresh expression of church, um, was then uh, later hired by Ridley Hall Cambridge to lead uh, an academic effort towards pioneering ministry uh, in the Church of England. And and today uh, works really is the the very first uh, staff member at the, in the in the history of the Church of England to focus on discipleship and evangelism. So, Dave, it's great uh, to have you with us. Great, thank you, and uh, really good to be with you, Gannon, today. I'm interested, Dave, just for you to sort of um, lay out for us a bit about your work currently uh, in the Church of England as it relates to the overall uh, religious landscape uh, in the UK. Sure, sure. So um, the the last 18 months I've been involved in helping the Church of England think about the next 10 years, um, which they've never done before in terms of a a structured way. And so we've been working right across the church to say, uh, what is it that God is calling us to be and to do in the next 10 years? What are our priorities? And uh, following lots of discussion and prayer and debate, uh, we came up with, uh, actually, we're to be a Christ-centered church, which is the arch. Bishop York said is a bit embarrassing, really, because you would think we knew that already. And in a sense, we do. But, it, it, you know, that's the heart of the vision. But it was what comes out of the priorities that come out of that. So if we're a, uh, a Christ-centered church shaped by Jesus, uh, then we've said the three key things are to be a church of missionary disciples, uh, a church where the mixed ecology is the norm, Uh, and a church which is younger and more diverse. And then we have a kind of tagline that we want to be a simpler, humbler, bolder church. But I think where the difference is, and this is where most of my role is is now, and we've got, you know, a a, a large team working with us on this, um, is to say, okay, it's great having that, but what, what does that actually look like and how will that work? So we've begun to say... Uh, For instance, a church where mixed ecology is the norm, what would that begin to look like? How would we know? What are some of the kind of targets that we would put in there? Uh, So, for instance, with that, we've said uh, we think we could see planted 10,000 new worshipping communities across the Church of England in the next 10 years, which effectively means every parish in the Church of England, or most of them, not every, would be able to plant some kind of fresh expression, church plant, messy church, whatever it might be, uh, over the next 10 years. And then we've kind of worked back from that to say, okay, what does that mean in terms of the resources that we might need for that. And we're talking about investing millions of pounds into that. Uh, We've talked about the leaders that we need. How do we develop 10,000 teams? Because we're very aware this is a team thing to do this. Um, And we've done the same for the other things. But I think um, this is a sea change for the Church of England to say, and when we use the term mixed ecology, we really mean that whole mixture of traditional church, fresh expressions, church plants, missionary, you know, all the language we use, that actually the norm is all those things together, working together uh, so that we can be the church for everyone uh, in uh, England. And we talk about being able to connect with people um, in their home life, uh, in their work or educational life, um, in their social life, um, as, as those key things uh, where actually we connect with people. Um, 
And so for me, that's been really exciting because in a, in a way, that's what I've been working to uh, all my life. And now to see that enshrined as one of the three top priorities for the Church of England um, it is really, really exciting. And I think that uh, to kind of go back, sorry, to your original question, the what's the national scene? Well, in England, we've done some research. There's about 11% of people go to church at least once a month. Um, 2% of those will be Anglican. But uh, a bit like America, but probably even more, we've seen the rise of those who would say they were no religion, which is now about 48%. And what's been squeezed is what we would call the fringe, people who, who come occasionally to to church or Christmas or Easter. That's a much smaller group now, about 18%. And so much of our evangelism was around reaching those fringe people. And I think one of the big issues for us is how do we seek to reach those who would describe themselves as no religion? Because when you look at the research that's been done on them, it's not that they don't believe. Um, it, it's more a question, I think, about where they see themselves belonging. So not many of them would describe themselves as atheists, probably only 10% of that group. Um, but when I think we're learning how do we connect with those people, kind of people in a way that is meaningful for them and, and enables them to actually begin to belong to a community. And what are you noticing about those people and what creates belonging for those well, we're only, I think we're only the beginning of this, but I, I think that is that it's interesting, isn't it? Because people want to belong, but I mean, the church isn't the only institution like this, but people are not keen to belong to institutions, you know, political parties, uh, lots of other kind of things are struggling in the same way. Um, and I think it's, it's probably is people are looking to belong to other people to have a sense of their place where they are that actually in a positive way holds them accountable and is relational. I think that I suspect that's probably what people are looking for more than I belong to this big institution or this big organization. It's, it's where, where within my locality, whatever that means, do I, I gain a sense of belonging by being with these other people and beginning to understand the Jesus around whom they gather we're we're noticing similar trends here. The, the the commentator David Brooks is doing quite a bit of of research on uh, belonging and just the decline of volunteerism uh, within yep. institutions. You know, you'll you'll ask people, how do you spend your time? And and you know, they're they're not in the the charity work or the bowling league or the or the whatever. But then you know, you you dig a little further and you find out that people are doing all kinds of what we would call volunteer activities. They're just much more deeply relational. And I think that's because institutions don't, don't hug you back, <laughs> um, yep. but yep. people do, uh, communities do. And that's uh, what the church has uh, to offer uh, a, a world that is desperately lonely and in, and in need of, of more. So it's exciting to hear the ways in which the, um, mixed ecology, blended ecology way of being church that values the a life of the parish and then sends and deploys uh, folks in the parish out to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So um, uh, thank you for that. Now, out of all of that uh, work, what signs of life are you seeing? What stories are uh, coming to the forefront? Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some really good stories. I was with um, 
one of my old students yesterday who was, who's uh, been involved in helping to revitalize eight churches in a really tough area of Nottingham um, and was telling me that in seven of those churches, there's children and youth work now, which there never had been before. And it's, it's growing and vibrant. So there are, there is, you know, there are those kind of good stories um, that we're beginning to hear. Um, I think this real focus on um, the 10,000 new worshipping communities, church planting, whatever language you want to use, is really encouraging um, of uh, of what we're trying to do. And uh, at the moment, actually, there's 4,000 of those already plan planned by diocese. So that's exciting to see. This is kind of tapping into where it seems that God is leading us. Um, I think it's a really interesting uh, development in terms of uh, bringing together uh, social action and evangelism uh, much more closely. It's interesting, uh, Holy Trinity Brompton, which you may well have heard of, um, have developed a love your neighbor uh, idea of kind of going out using food banks, all that kind of thing to begin to help and serve people. And there, there seems to be a much closer sense of um, separate things, um, it, it, I think, is definitely uh, on the way out. Um, I think discipleship is it, we're seeing a real marked change in what we mean by discipleship. Um, we now talk about everyday faith. So a move away from seeing discipleship as just uh, something that happens when you're in church on a Sunday or a Wednesday evening uh, and tends to be around kind of church activities to um, what does it mean for every area of your life and every day and every moment. And that leads, I think, to the... Um, the mixed ecology as well, because it's helping people to think, what does it mean to be a Christian at work, in their social lives, um, uh, in their home life, which actually is part of that is also helping people to think, how might I begin some kind of Christian community there, as well as thinking about how do I live out uh, my faith at work? And that is is a marked change, I think, for the church from discipleship, which is which is just a kind of it's what happens within the church. And I think the other thing is um, uh, ecclesiology. So the nature of church is obviously um, a big issue at the moment. Uh, some people, you know, not happy about fresh expressions, as in lots of countries, you know, it's not proper church, all that kind of thing. But I think what it is doing is engendering a really important conversation about, well, what do we mean when we use the word church and a recognition that the word church is really important, you know, that we, we all believe in it and it's key. So I think we, it, it's moved us away from an individualism of just let's get someone over the line of faith to um, actually the church is, is key in that. But the discussion now is, well, what, what do we mean by church? And I, I think, um, as I said, that, that's been an important discussion and and uh, probably the same in America, but has been kind of uh, helped by the whole online COVID thing because there's been big discussions here about, well, is online church proper church and it's not quite the same, it's not as good and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's, I think, has all helped in this thing of, yeah, we really need to get our theology of church uh, sorted out in what we do. Yeah, away from merely gathering to um, an organism, really. It's a it's a it's a move of people. Um, yeah. 
touching touching lives and and um, you know not just gathering in a space to be reminded, which is important. Um, so uh, and that's the challenge that we all that we all face. I mean, I, I would I would then go to to sort of ask you've you've got a, a bit of experience here in the U.S. coming back and forth sure. over the years, and I you know, could can you draw some. Um, com- some comparisons and some contrasts between the two uh, countries? Yes. I mean, I think, um, I mean, one of the fascinating uh, uh, contrasts is uh, is probably around the kind of state and church. So we're, we're much more part of the establishment in one sense. Um, you know, I am actually writing answers that quest- for questions in parliament um, that, are, that are actually asked by our MPs, um, because they actually have a time to ask about church issues. And so they've been asking about the vision and strategy, and I've had to write answers for the uh, the the, um, the politician who answers those. Um, whereas that, obviously that's different in America. But uh, we, there, but having said that, the weird thing for us is that um, our politics is, party politics is much more diverse from uh, Divorce from our from the from the churches in that sense. So I think that that reflects quite a lot in terms of the way we do church in Britain, and there there probably is a, a bit more unity and uh, and not such big divisions. I think that is a big contrast that I see. I think the other thing is that in uh, the other contrast I see in America is that you probably still have a lot more. Uh, n- church people than non-church, whereas here uh, we have more and more unchurched people, whatever language you want to use, you had never had experience of church. Um, I think in in America, it's just beginning to change. I, I often say to uh, people in America, look at what's happening in Britain. It'll, that'll be what you'll be like in about 10 or 15 years time. Uh, you know, this is coming undoubtedly. So, um, and I think that, uh, that, it, that is important um, for the churches to begin to think through how, what kind of church do we need to be to connect with more of the nons, uh, those people who would say they were no religion, because um, usually, even more so in America, you've been used to the fringe, um, and those people are kind of there waiting to kind of, in a sense, have what they know explained to them in a way that they can then just respond to. Whereas it's very different with people who are in a way living in a different environment and living in a a very different way and a very different way of thinking. So um, I think there's some challenges there uh, for the church in America to begin to think through uh, how does that operate? I think there are lots of similarities as well. I mean, I think, um, you know, the fresh expressions movement in America has been brilliant, uh, A, at bringing uh, denominations together to work together and that sense of a, a common purpose, which is exactly what's happened in Britain and Europe around that. Um, and a willingness, I think, to be um, uh, nimble and fleet footed and willing to kind of see where God is leading and begin to follow that. Uh, I see lots of similarities. And in a way that in some ways, I think the the kind of American entrepreneurial spirit fits better than it probably does for us, um, because there is a willingness to try new things, to change, to uh, to do all those kind of things. So um, I, I think that's really, really exciting uh, to see. And I just see some really good signs of um, 
a church now which is asking these these new questions about how do we reach the you know the majority of our population that are not coming to us what does that mean for how we do church and what does it mean for us in terms of how we are disciples um, in the world and that for me that's been really encouraging to see that and to be in in a small way uh, to be part of that it's good i think in in many respects here the acceleration of the 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 de-churched or the nuns has happened faster over the kind of this two-year covid period where you're going to have you have a lot of people who were barely attached to church and have found something else better to do on sunday um they've discovered how the lack of true community and connection and so they're connecting with god but um, they're not back at church, so it's it's a real. So we, we may we may have almost caught up. <laughs> so we may be able to collaborate even better uh, now. So um, it, with that in mind, though, Dave, since you've been um, really on the cutting edge for for a long time, I just can you go back with us um, and share a bit of your story in terms of how you. Your call to ministry and to pioneering, and 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 how that worked, particularly in the early days. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I, I've always had more friends who are outside the church than inside the church, so that's always led me to kind of continually ask the question: Is this the kind of church I could bring these friends to? I'm, I'm, you know, building relationships, having fun with, playing sport with, get you know, neighbors, whatever it is. And I think for me, probably, um, I spent three years when I did my kind of first post on a large social housing estate in Leicester, uh, 10,000 people, um, quite a lot of poverty. um, And I saw a church there that I was part of, lovely people, but they weren't prepared to change to enable the people on that social housing estate to come in. So if those people were willing to change to become like them, they could join, but they wouldn't change to enable those people to join. And I think that was probably, uh, though it was depressing at the time, actually the most formational moment for me to realize that actually the onus on change was inside the church, not outside the church. And how do we create a church which truly is invitational in in every aspect to its community that it's serving and seeing uh, that that is its priority to, in a sense, give itself away and serve uh, these people. Um, And then I went from there, small church, to a large church, kind of city centre church. And do you know what? I found exactly the same issue going on in a different way. Um, you know, we're big, we're successful, we've got, you know, worship teams, we've got big staff. Um, why do we need to think about anyone else? We, we, we're doing great. Um, until, you, of course, you realize the percentage of um, people in the population that actually we were connecting with, even though there might be, you know, hundreds of people on a Sunday. And, and just, again, a willingness to prioritize 
uh, people outside. And I think the other thing that frustrated me was that there was no sense of that intentionality. You know, we had 400 people thinking 400 different things about what the church was about. Um, and so with a small group of people from that church, we began to meet um, in a local kind of pub uh, to try and create something that would connect with uh, people outside of church, um, which we did for about a year. And that led us to think, actually, we need to really go one step more and, and create something which is really aimed at those people that don't come. We were in a town in the north of England called Huddersfield, and I saw uh, something in the local paper that said that 58% of people in that uh, town had no relationship with any church. And so about 20 of us set ourselves the task of how would we create a, a Christian community that could do that? Um, and I think the, probably the biggest and best decision we made was that once we'd got this initial team of about 25 people, we wouldn't let any Christians join us. Um, we would only be, because we, had, we were creating a church for people that didn't come to church. Um, and that, that was the task that we set ourselves. And we realized that most of that was about the relational aspect. So it was it related. It wasn't about going out on the streets or whatever. It was about our friends, our neighbors, our workmates. And how did we create something that was truly intentional uh, to be missionary in that sense? Um, and that then began to guide everything that we did. So that that was the the kind of single lens through which we saw. So let me give you a, this is a silly example, but it just says everything about it. So when we started, we kind of began gathering together. And like most Christians, they love breaking into small groups that, you know, everyone loves that. So uh, once we kind of got going and we discovered that actually uh, people who weren't Christians were coming along to the, to our kind of Sunday gathering, um, but they hated the small groups. They said, you know, we feel exposed, we feel vulnerable, we don't know what to say. If you do that, we're not going to keep coming. Um, and so we stopped the small, the, the, the breaking into little groups. Um, and the Christians found that really hard. But that was a kind of real learning point. You know, who who is this for? Um, if if they if we are there to serve these people, then we, you know, we. <laughs> It's exchange. We, we're going to lose something, but actually we're going to gain something greater, which is these people becoming um, part of our community. And the other thing that we had to ask ourselves all the time was um, most people aren't going to come to faith in eight weeks of an alpha course. It's going to be a much longer journey. So how do we create a sense of belonging um, which is going to enable people to, to stay with us for you know two, three years before saying, you know, I would count myself as a Christian. They're on that journey, but how do we keep saying to them, actually, you're you're really part of that? And that that was a, I think, some important discoveries um, that we made uh, along the way in, in terms of the the life of the church. And our, our great mantra was minimize meetings, maximize relationships. So that was the other great thing we were continually doing. How do we stop lots of meetings and how do we get if if the point is for us to build our relationships uh, with people outside the church we need to give people the time and the tools uh, to begin to do that and then i think the last thing um i'll shut up then is that uh 
we asked ourselves a simple question. What is it we're asking people to do? I often say this to church leaders. What are you asking your people to do? And it's a kind of question we don't often ask ourselves. Um, because if you look at a lot of the training material, it would suggest that what we're asking everyone in our church to do is to lead someone to Christ. And so we asked ourselves, is that really what we're asking someone to do? You know, that they would get to the point where they could share with them and pray a prayer with them. And we realized, actually, I don't think that is what we're asking people to do. And so we, we began a discussion within the church to say, okay, what, what is it we could ask everyone to do um, around this whole area and we decided there were three very simple things uh, we could ask everyone to be praying for their uh, non-christian contacts on a very regular basis and everyone said yeah i think i could do that even the people who had just recently come to faith secondly um, we could basically everyone would be expected to invite friends to things that we were doing friends neighbors workmates and there was a kind of social contract with that i think where we said we're expecting you to be doing this. Um, and they said, well, we'll do it if what you do is good enough to bring people to. Um, so we ended up doing lots of stuff, lots of stuff around stories where we would uh, interview people. I mean, for a classic would be, we did a whole evening on suffering where we had someone from the Lockerbie Air crash whose, da whose daughter had died in the crash talking about that. And we had someone who was a very skilled interviewer and then people could ask questions and people were saying, this is exactly the kind of thing I can bring my friends to. And often we ran, ran the things twice because the first time people thought, oh, I wish I'd invited someone to this. And then uh, the second time uh, they did. So I, I would say, and this was the only time in my life I've seen this, at all our events, there would be, which were aimed at people outside the church, there would always be at least half of the people there were from outside the church. That People were really intentional on that. And the third thing, so prayer, invite, and the third would be able to tell your story. Uh, and we provided some training. So just that simple ability to talk about how you had come to faith and the difference it's made. We're not asking you to, to um, uh, be able to talk theologically about every problem with the suffering or uh, you know, all those issues, just be able to express your own journey with Christ and the difference that's that that has made. And then that led us as church leaders to say, okay, from that, where are the gaps? What do we need to begin to put together? So for instance, we, need, we do need some kind of alpha type, just looking course uh, to help people move on uh, in their faith. We need some kind of more discipleship work, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, uh, I think that was absolutely key uh, for the lives of the church, that everyone knew what their part in it was, and then they knew what the whole church was being called to do uh, around that. And and say a bit about how you exited uh, that. So so at Huddersfield, you had, you know, presumably non Christians became Christians, part of it, and then you exited, but it, it kept on going. How did that work? Yeah. So um, I mean, I think it was. Uh in some ways a surprise to us we had thought we'd be there forever we were loving it the church had really grown lots of people had come to faith um you know and quite a few of them are friends uh, it was a fantastic community to be part of um but what had begun to happen was that um i was uh, being contacted by people who were starting 
uh, other fresh expressions, though we didn't even have the language then of fresh expressions. Uh, and I became more and more uh, clear in my mind that for these new leaders, there's, there wasn't a lot of training, there wasn't a lot of support, and I, I saw one or two of them get badly burnt by that. So I was spending more and more time uh, mentoring those people. Um, and then one day, we had a great leadership team, and we were meeting together. And one of my leaders said, um, Dave, we really need you to be here more um, rather than going and meeting with these leaders. <clears throat> and I felt God say to me very clearly at that point, well, maybe there's another answer to that, which is you need a new leader to come in here um, and you need to go off and do this. So that kind of opened my mind, I think, that there might be that God might have another plan in mind. Um, and then out of the blue, uh, Ridley Hall Theological College in Cambridge was looking for someone to start uh, a whole training pathway for pioneers, for people to lead this kind of church, and basically came to me to say, um, we would love you to do this. And that kind of fitted in with that. And I think alongside that, I, I, I am a pioneer. I, I um, One of my mantras is, uh, I love first and I hate seconds. So I love starting things. I love that kind of new page. But if I begin to feel I'm just kind of churning the same stuff out, you know, it's that kind of uh, just it going and going and redoing it and each year the same, then um, I, I'm not good with that. I'm not helpful. And I, I just felt as well that the church needed someone new to come in who could take it to the next level and the next stage. Uh, and actually, that wasn't me. I, I was a first person. I, and, you know, so the fact that the, what the college were offering me was a blank piece of paper was exactly um, what I wanted to do. So that that's what happened. And um, it was really painful telling the church. There were lots of tears on all sides because I think they had thought we'd be there forever. Uh, but actually, you know, 16 years later, um, they're still going. The net is happening. Uh, it's now lay leadership. There's a great team. Uh, so that that is really exciting because I think one of the things that people in those first few years said to me was, oh, of course, this is all built around you and, you know, this is all dependent on you. And I knew it wasn't. And I knew that actually part of my leadership was to ensure that wasn't. Um, and, you know, some of those people are still on the leadership team from, from the time I was there. So uh, I think for me, that's been the the greatest thing really is to see that the net is still thriving um 16 years later way way beyond my influence so i mean i i kind of pushed it off to get it going but i've really had the rest of it has been them not me that's good that's good thanks dave and and just as as it matured so in in this at this point is it does it have a, a, a ordained clergy overseeing or is it truly a, a lay-led sort of expression it well uh, yeah because of church of england polity a bit of both it is truly lay-led so the the team who lead it are are lay i mean the this is the thing isn't it because some of those one of those for instance is an ex-missionary so it, it's it's you know people who've got quite a lot of experience but uh, there's also a uh, a local uh church pastor who has some oversight just to kind of make sure that they feel part of um, the kind of wider body because I think that can be a difficulty sometimes when there isn't a clergy that they feel connected into uh, you know the diocese and the relationships with that so 
so there is someone that kind of helps them with that and kind of keeps an eye out for them and on them. Good. Good. Well, thank you, Dave, for stories, the insight, and um, your friendship in, in, in this time, uh, this time of history in which we find ourselves. We don't get to choose when we're, when we're born, and, and here we are. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's been, um, I mean, it's been a delight to um, talk to you now, Gannon, but you know, it's been a delight to work with you and the others in, in U.S. Fresh Expressions. And certainly the last few years, it's been really exciting to see that kind of develop and grow um, and, uh, you know, yeah, just begin to take hold in the imagination of the church across America has been yeah exciting for me and an honor to be involved in that in in small little ways. Thanks. You're hearing from Dave Mail on the Fresh Expressions podcast. We're just weeks away from Remission, the 2022 Fresh Expressions gathering happening March 30th through April 1st. Join us in person in Richmond, Virginia, or online to hear from seasoned practitioners and helpful thought leaders who are navigating this new terrain and fresh ways of being the church. Register today at freshexpressionsus.org backslash remission. It's a joy to be with Sabine Ceramic today. Sabine is a part of the German Fresh Expressions team. Fresh Expressions is, of course, an international movement that started with um, some dreaming in the Church of England, and they invited some friends uh, along from the British Methodist Church and and began building partnerships to envision new ways of being church uh, in a culture that is increasingly uh, post-Christian or de-Christian. And it's not that the the gospel has changed, but um, the way that we uh, meet with people uh, sociologically <laughs> has, <laughs> has changed. Sociology is really what's changed. And so um, uh, Sabine is a sociologist, actually, and is going to, uh, we're going to have a, a bit of a discussion here related to um, a culture and new ways of church and from, a, from a sociological perspective, from a European perspective perspective, um, keeping in mind that Europe is a big place um, with lots of (laughs) migration and refugee resettlement and um, so many uh, layers and variables. But um, it's it's a pleasure, Sabine, to have you with us. Thank you. And I look forward to uh, what you'll have to share with us uh, today. So uh, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all, um, before we launch in. That question was not on the list I prepared for. <laughs> but I try to answer it anyway. Yeah, um, my name is Sabine. I do live in the south of Germany. Um, I'm married. I have a daughter. She's nine. She's becoming nine in two weeks now. And um, yeah, what shall I say? I'm a member of a Baptist church, but now I attend the uh, Protestant church here uh, in the south. And um, I've been working for Fresh Expressions for the last um, seven years. Yeah. Yeah. So you are a sociologist by training. By training, yeah. <laughs> and um, and and so I'm I'm just wondering how you have uh, leveraged that experience in uh, ministry, working with Fresh Expressions, and and maybe you can share with us a bit about what trends you're seeing uh, related to. Um, 
the church around Europe? Uh, what's what's hopeful? What's troubling? What are you what are you seeing? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question. As I said before, you know, Europe is a big is a big continent, and there are a lot of different cultures. But I think it's safe to say what you can say is that um, we have seen over the last uh, decades or a couple of years a rapid decline of institutional religion, and uh, that people stop going to church, and therefore also their children stop going to church. Though we have really a um, a, a generational cut, basically. So. Um, the new generation that's emerging now, the whatever the teens, they they don't they don't see church life or religious life as a as a major part of their lives actually anymore, mm-hmm. and um, this is this will have an effect I think which we will see in the next ten to twenty years, and this will be massive because um, so far a lot of people are still going to church on whatever Christmas and the the feast days and stuff. Um, but what we will expect is that this won't continue to happen in the way we are used to. And this means that Europe basically is, is changing from a, from where religion used to be part of life to, to a place where religion or religious practices will, will be um, mostly lived out in the private sphere. So it won't be a common topic to talk about. And um, so the, the, the question is, how, how does the church react to this? Or how, how does church life then happen if a lot of people are not attending church anymore? And this is the question I think the, the continent is facing, the European continent. And uh, if you want some figures, I can give you also some figures and dates because I've just read the mission report um, the, on the, the European mission report from 2021. And it says there that... Um, only, especially in the Scandinavian countries, and, and the UK is a bit bit different. It's more secularized than the rest of Europe. It's 10 years ahead or so. So if you go to the UK, we can see where the rest of Europe is heading. And it's over um, over 50% of the people are not believing in God at all. And only it says that only one in 20 Swedes or Norwegians is actually attending um, church service. So this is a trend that will continue. And um, yeah, so this is a major challenge for the church, I think, in the future. But it's not the end. And um, the churches is really, they are trying to react to this um, kind of movement. And they have seen that they need to be united. So um, so what kind of denomination is, is not, um, how can I say this? Um, it doesn't matter whether you're Catholic or Protestant anymore, or whether you're Baptist Church or Methodist. It's you, you have to work together because the the numbers are declining, and the smaller you get, the more the need for um, cooperation and stuff. So this is um, these are also hopeful signs, and it's also saying that downsizing isn't the worst of things, because if your congregation gets smaller, then you get to know people a lot better. And um, yeah, so basically there's an emerge of a sense of discipleship and also prayer. Um, I haven't seen the church praying as much in the last two years as I've seen it before, which is really encouraging. So it goes that the church actually recognizes its need for making disciples for prayer and for unity 
And these are really, really hopeful signs I'm seeing besides the declining numbers. So maybe church is moving into exile and it has to find its place there. So unpack that a little bit more, Sabine. Thanks for sharing. You know, in the last two years, we've all around the globe experienced a, a similar thing. And the church has had to respond to this uh, season of pandemic. Um, uh, I might even add pandemics, um, yeah. given in, in our country, the economic variables, the uh, issues around racial justice. And so I'm wondering, you know, if you could f- further unpack maybe some other signs of hope that you've seen or, or some specifics around how you've witnessed the power of prayer in the life of the church. I think if the church opens up and invites people in to pray and to celebrate and to lament as well and to grieve, I think um, a lot of people would join that. Unfortunately, I haven't seen this in Germany because the church is here, um, which has been actually um, a sad surprise to me, have basically closed the doors and excluded people because they were so fearful. And this is something I hope, I hope the church will overcome and, and um, invite people, you know, to the God of hope, to the message of hope you have. And um to invite praying and also lamenting and grieving. I think what the European Church needs to 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 find again is the, is a way to, of of grieving and lament and and saying this is not the end. We have a God of hope. There's a place for lamenting, but there's also a place of celebrating and hope. And mm-hmm. the the hopeful signs I've seen is that, especially here in Germany and the the um, church leaders I've been around, they have put in so much creative stuff on how you can do church without actually meeting or you can meet outside and they have done messy churches and all kinds of different stuff they have never tried before and this is uh, for german this is really extraordinary because you can make so many mistakes and we are very um we try to avoid mistakes (laughs) so doing new stuff is really challenging for us but i've seen so many people really put in so much work and um ideas and they have been they have come up with some amazing stuff um, during the pandemic and I hope this will continue and I think what we have learned especially from my German perspective is that it doesn't have to be perfect um, but just pray and and have a look what God's doing and then join in and uh, people will join in if you do it with all your heart and with the spirit so um, this is a uh, these are some hopeful developments. I hope that will continue after um, we come into a post-pandemic era, hopefully. Or at least an endemic era, as, as we're calling it. <laughs> what, what about the, uh, just can you give us a little bit of history and, and even sort of catch us up to w- how the, the German Fresh Expressions movement has evolved and, and over the years and then how maybe it's responded in the pandemic season? Yeah. Um, well, it started basically in, in, in 2011 something, and it's been established in 2013-14. Uh, so it's been around for a while, and it's safe to say that the Fresh Expressions movement has, like, their first aim was to encourage established churches um, and dioceses and uh, to live out the Missio Dei, um, to explore new mission opportunities and, and stuff like this. And um, so after these seven years, it's safe to say that this idea and this DNA has, has become the heart of the established church. It's, it's in the middle and um, 
people have recognized the need for this. So now actually the movement is a, in a transition phase. The, the question is now, so what's, what's our priority now? People know there's a need for mission, for missional communities. So um, what's our place now for the fresh expressions movement in Germany? And I think we are now in that place where we think we need to, um, uh, to encourage people and to equip them to sustain their projects and um, yeah, as how, how projects can be sustainable and how, how could we as a network equip pioneers also with fundraising ideas and um, teachings and sessions. We have this Pioneer Academy where people can come and do a, a course in pioneering church ministry. We are trying to equip and um, give resources and, yeah, basically just help people to connect with each other and try to encourage pioneers because it's really hard in the institutional church to pioneer some stuff. Um, there are a lot of downsides and obstacles you have to overcome. Absolutely. I'm aware. <laughs> um, what about, so, you know, of, of what does a flourishing uh, church look like? What, what are some, maybe some stories uh, that you, that you have where you've sort of seen good things happening? Yeah. So within the Fresh Expressions movement, we have now um, different, we have established different streams sort of of um, Fresh Expressions because we found that people um, get more involved if they have actually some some idea how this may look like, like messy churches. You know messy churches, don't you? You do have them, yeah. And now we have, we have a rising forest church movement coming up. Um, which is really exciting. This has especially developed during the pandemic because you the only way to meet was outside. So there are a lot of um, yeah forest church or outside church movements uh, connecting now. Um, we have a horse riding church, which is really cool. And so um, for for the flourishing things, I, I can tell you about the one of my favorites. It's the treehouse camp. Um, this is really cool. That that you can come as a youth group or as an individual, and you build a tree house within two weeks. Some of them do have swimming pools in them, so they are really big. <laughs> and, and and this is really cool because there's a whole team of people committed just to be with you, to disciple you, to teach you, obviously, to teach you how to build tree tree houses as well. But it's it's. It's not only teaching you how to build a treehouse; it's also teaching you how to rely on God and how to um, how to live as a disciple. And they invest in you; they commit to you, and then um, they celebrate uh, with you after they've built the treehouses and stuff. Um, so this is one of my favorites. And the other one is just around my corner in a little village. Um, they have a, they have a little farm. It's nothing what you would call a farm in America. I think it's 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 really 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 small um but in the middle of a village and they have premium they they have bought premium land where actually people wanted to build houses on it it was really really expensive and they've built it in it and um connie that's the girl she's doing it and she said to me she said to god you know god i'm not good with money so if you provide the money i'll do it if there's no money i stop <laughs> and actually so far they've have had Coming money in, it's amazing. I, I mean, you won't believe the story she's telling you. And this is just a place where people can come, especially people with handicaps and disabilities, and just hang out with the 
with the animals and with the other people and just a place to feel welcome. They have a little coffee hut where you can, as a mom, you can chill out, have your coffee and your kids can play with the, with the horses and stuff. Um, so uh, th this is really cool. And what I've seen is all these people and all these communities that are really flourishing, you know, they're they are rooted in prayer and community. They, they put, um, yeah, they, they put this first and then all the other things are coming into place. They are very relational and they are in for the long run. It's not, you don't, they don't do it, you know, just for a couple of months. They have committed for maybe 10 years or something. It's like, okay, this is the place for us to be. We're committed and we put, you know, we put our lives in basically. And these are the communities that see that are flourishing. I could tell you a lot more, but I, I think I'll stop. <laughs> Oh no! So so un, so say this, say this more about the farm. Is have you have you witnessed um, um, a, a way of discipleship or a way of worship that's original to the farm? Mm, well, basically, they have a mobile um, chapel. It's on wheels because you're not allowed to build on the land, actually. <laughs> so they, they have a, had a little trick um, to come around this regulation. <laughs> it's really, it's really tiny, but this is this is actually the place of worship. They had have an inscription on the door um, saying, oh, "I can't remember. I think it's. I have to look it up. Anyway, um, it's something about the heart of God, and you can come in there, and they have they have um, little, um, well, stuff for the kids to play and to." Um, what's it called? Little puppets where you can, you, you can, yeah. this is me, this is Jesus. And this is, the, you, yeah, you can set a scene and, okay. um, and act, you know, biblical stuff. So they, they just go there with the people and they say, okay, this is Jesus. And where, where's your place? Oh, which, which figure you are identifying with and stuff. And this is how they come into, um, talking with people about Jesus. And this is also where they meet for prayer. Um, I don't know if this is like, this is not a method. This is their thing, basically, to do it. Um, but what I know is that they meet there also each day for prayer and to have community. They also have volunteers, um, I think, three to four volunteers that are actually joining them. Good. A mobile, a mobile tabernacle on the, yeah. on the land. It sounds very, <laughs> very Old Testament. Very, I like it. Very. And these are just um, normal people, you know, they just live there. It's the back garden, garden basically. They, it's just, this was the place they have been living for the last 20 years and they had the chance to buy the land and they said to cut so short, what should we do? If you provide the money, we'll do it. And he did. So they've just been faithful. That says something very instructive, though, about pioneering. Often, um, you know, in, in my situation, we we moved to a place, a new place yeah. to pioneer. And so it took a lot of time to get to know the community. We were essentially acting as missionaries. But sometimes pioneers have lived in a community for a long time. They know all of the regulations, <laughs> all of the, <laughs> the development the sort of requirements. And so they're able to sort of have their eye on a piece of land like this. So have you noticed anything about pioneering people who are, I'd say, much more indigenous to uh, the, the community? Yeah. 
I think um, I think this might also be the future, you know, not to go to faraway places, but to 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 see what what's the place God's called you now in here in your neighborhood. I think there's a um, the piece in the message that says God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I like this so much, and this is. Um, how could I answer this question? I mean, I think um, what people notice is that they have known you, maybe in this case of the farm, they've known you as a little kid, they've known how you grow up. They um, And if you start something like this, they know, oh, this is, you know, Connie, I've been to, you know, primary school with... <laughs> I seen her run around in my back garden, and now she's doing this. Um, and this intrigues people, I think, and it's also genuine. But for you, it's um, you. You have to be vulnerable. You have to um, open up your lives to people. And um, I think this is kind of scary, but it's really, really worth it. And I think God is using this. If you, if you don't, you know, if you move to another country, you can be somebody else. You don't have to show people everything you are. And, and you feel and you, you bring with you your family background. People might know, you know, um, the odd aunt or uncle of yours. <laughs> and, um, but on the other hand, this, this can also be really an asset, you know, for the, for the advance of the kingdom of God. Because as I said, I think people perceive you as somebody who's genuine and who's really interested in them and who's saying, okay, I'm here for you and I'm staying. Um, come with me. It's deeply encouraging for people who feel like they have to go great distances uh, to pioneer. There, There is something to the, the credibility that people have in, in towns where they've been raised. Um, uh, we're all aware of Jesus's words that can't be a prophet in your own country, but um, sometimes there is a power of presence uh, that... Uh, draws people to the love of Jesus because you're, you're you've been present yeah. and you know uh, things in common. If I may add, maybe it's interesting to you too. Uh, on that topic, the guy I'm talking about about the tree houses, they are now establishing a sort of new monastic kind of living in the in the woods. Um, uh, he, I think, it's three people now. They have bought tiny houses and they move in <laughs> this. <laughs> In this place, and there's a, there there have been there has been a little well there is a house, um, um, but it's been empty, and now the volunteers have moved in, and they will come with the tiny houses and actually live in 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 a new monastic community within this um, sphere on this wood. It's really secluded. It used to be a village, but it's deserted now. So there's a street going there, but there's nothing else. And um, so I'm I'm really interested to see how this goes they will start in march i think so there's a new awareness of uh i think of commitment i think you could say so yeah. good and that's the 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 intersection between what we would call new monasticism and fresh expressions is is very yeah. linked and so a, a new monastic community would be a, a, a group of people who are committing to live a certain way of life under yeah. jesus um, committing to one another, and then their commitment to one another then extends out to the the local community, to the land, to the forest, uh, where they would steward and sort of 
take care and develop the, the, yeah. the tree houses, <laughs> which is which is fun. And then they're able to invite people in to build the tree houses. Yeah. And, and I, my guess is that those are all ages of people are are building the tree houses. Um, yeah. So to say a little bit more. You've you've um, worked a lot with young adults, uh, university students, that sort of thing. What are you seeing any particular signs of hope or signs of life with uh, uh, the development of, of, of disciples of Jesus among young adults? Um, actually, yes. I think a lot of young people, um, especially in the church, they are longing for something different. I think they are not content anymore with their going to church and sitting in a pew and listening to somebody telling them what to do. Um, I think the people are eager to um, to develop a kind of deeper relationship with Christ. And I think what's needed most is people that will commit or say, I'm a mentor to these people. I will be their teacher, their Yoda, whatever, you know, and, and to say, um, I'm, I'm teaching you and I'm, I'm showing you how to be a disciple in your everyday life. Um, this is what I've seen in a lot of young people, and especially in a church context, people are tra- um, that are training to be a pastor. They sort of, um, um, they are they are battling with um, what they feel they are called to do and what they feel inside, and and what the institutional church will offer them, which is structures and rules and regulations. So this is what I see: this uh, discrepancy between I want a personal and and lively relationship with Christ and I want this to um I want other people to experience this but how can I do this in an institutional church setting this is um yeah the imbalance I'm seeing and a lot of people are struggling with this but I've seen a lot of youth churches rise up especially in Germany with with a big YMCA um, movement and they are now trying because Here's the same problem these young people have experienced, you know, a real relationship with Christ. They they have experienced community when they've been on retreats and stuff. But then they are not attracted to normal church life, so they drop out. And the question is, how can you um how can you actually foster a community of young people within the church? So the YMCA have has come up with the idea of why churches, they call it. So that's basically a YMCA church. And we have a lot of youth churches, uh, Jugendkirchen, especially here in the south of Germany, that are really flourishing. But then again, um, they are sort of viewed as weird by the institutional church and they don't know what to do with them um, because actually they want to have the young people within their congregation, but they won't come anyway. So... <laughs> so, they, Sounds like Jesus and the disciples <laughs> in, the, in the religious institutions of that day, doesn't indeed, it? Indeed, indeed, it does. Um, tell us a little bit about what I mean. If if you have experience in sort of being around one of the the youth churches, sort of how how do they function? Because you do eventually have to create some sort of structure, right, for these things. And the YMCA, see, contextually in the United States, the YMCA is a essentially a health club. It's a it's a place to sign up to play sports and go swimming. It's the the C in YMCA is is mostly 
not uh, <laughs> evident. So it'd be a surprise to many Americans to hear of YMCA's being kind of part of their, their original Christian mission. So it it actually is, especially in the in, here in Germany. Um, yeah, I mean, they look maybe they might look a lot like um, the established churches as well, just a bit hipper, you know, worship music, and um, they they will have a liturgy. They won't call it like that, but anyway, they will. <laughs> we all have a liturgy. <laughs> we do, don't we? Um, but uh, I think that um, the I think what's different is the kind of leadership. It's not that the well, they try to be not to be top down but bottom up so they try to include um, a lot of the people that are attending the youth churches and they try to ask them and to involve them in, in what they are doing you know like is the service kind of what you want it to be do we have to do something different so it's more like people that are attending are also the people that are working within this community and I think that's the biggest difference it's it's more like a a um I don't know how to say it was in English, actually. We have such a nice German word for it, but... Um, What's the German word? Um, <laughs> Beteiligung. <laughs> Beteiligungskirche. So if any Germans are watching, they'll know what I mean. Um, <laughs> no, this is... Um, yeah, so this is... the People um, People are not just there to listen. They are also there. It's expected to them for them to work with, uh, with the church. So. And we say, you know, just active participation. And I, yeah. I often um, look and reference of First Corinthians fourteen, where uh, it, it says there that everyone, when you gather into the church, is is essentially expected to have a word to share. It was a it was a shared community, yeah. um, and I think that's sort of one thing that we notice in a lot of these new forms of church, fresh expressions of church. That's in, in our house churches with their highly participatory. Um, our leaders don't preach. Uh, we, we facilitate uh, a Bible-focused discussion. We use ancient ways of interpreting scripture, but we, we rely on the community. Yeah. One last question for you. Um, in terms of, of success or failure um, in your work and what you've learned from it, maybe one success, one failure. <laughs> <laughs> if I may be so bold. Okay. Um, one success. Yeah, I well, most of the time I'm working with um, volunteers, and, you know, this is where I've thought, well, I've worked the last couple of years. And I think that the success is that if you see people coming into a different kind of setting, it um, it's great to see them becoming, you know, dependent on God and to, to, to see them grow in Christ and then to, to watch them grow as they go along in the way, walk of life and what this kind of um, particular setting has done to them. Like if they... You know, if you do an internship in another country, it opens up your mind and it broadens your horizon and it does something to you. And it also makes you a lot, it makes you humble because if you have been in a context where you don't speak language, um, you know, you can just listen and, and watch. So basically, this is, um, and when they come back, this is what they do. And then they try to bring in new ideas. I think this is this is the biggest success that we have 
people that are able to to learn and then to communicate what they have learned within the structures there now. Um, and for the failure, let me see. I did some notes on this. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe not really a failure, but a learning is that it's really about the long run. It's not that you can touch lives of people just for a moment of time and then move on to the next one. It's like you have to stick with them. And this is something I had to learn because usually I'm a person that, oh, this is the next new idea. Oh, that's lovely. So leave the, the rest behind and then move on to the new stuff. But it's actually, um, you know, with people and with projects, it's stay committed and then pick one that's most important to you and stick with it. So even though it kind of, it's not, in the beginning, it's all, you know, um, really interesting and stuff. And then it comes the dual stuff with the, where you have to do, you know, numbers and figures and whatever. Um, but the lesson I've learned is to stick with it and then see what what it opens up actually to. So, yes. Yeah. The power of staying and the power of presence is... Uh, Thank you. That was important. much nicer said. <laughs> no, not, not at all. I mean, we, we've both been doing this work for a while and, and you, you you go through your honeymoon phase your first couple of years where the sky's the limit and then you sort of get into a situation where it feels very hard and then i find if you can stick with something about you know six seven years um in terms of pioneering something new you start you start seeing fruit but you've got to get through that initial sort of wow and then the oh this is hard and then um you you have to be able to begin giving away leadership um uh, because in new forms of church it's you know this is this is not something that most people are doing for their vocational work it's discipleship is just emerging out of their natural life and their leadership is emerging out of their natural life and so then we have to give away a leadership so it, it it grows and multiplies um and becomes uh, discipleship movement, um, or we just reconstitute an institution yeah, yeah, that's... <laughs> just with different liturgy. <laughs> so, uh, that's true. well, Sabine, it's been a, a delight to speak with likewise, you. Likewise, likewise, Gannon. Thank, thanks for your, um, for your insights, for your help, for your partnership, uh, in the gospel, um, and, uh, as part of this international fresh expressions movement, I appreciate it very much. Fresh Expressions is a worldwide movement of everyday missionaries who want to see churches thrive in the places we eat, play, work, and yes, even in our traditional churches. To learn a simple five-phase process for starting a new expression of church, go to freshexpressionsus.org backslash how to start. The Fresh Expressions podcast is hosted by Gannon Sims and me, Heather Jalad. It's edited by Joel Limbaum, and produced by Kathleen Blackie and Chris Morton. Our national director is Dr. Christopher Backert. If you've learned something or been encouraged by this podcast, please help us spread the word. You can give us a review on Apple Music or Spotify and share this episode on social media. Now, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that God's ways may be known on earth 
your salvation among all nations.